edifying in the thought that against God we are always in the wrong. Being in the wrong. Can any more painful feeling be imagined? And do we not see that man would rather suffer anything than admit he was in the wrong? We do not approve such obstinacy, either in ourselves or in others. We think it better and more wisely done to admit the fact when we are really in the wrong. And we say that the pain accompanying the admission will be like a bitter pill that makes us healthy. But that is painful to be in the wrong, painful to admit it. That is not something we hide. So we endure the pain because we know that it is for our own good. We put our trust in managing some time in the future to put up a stronger resistance, perhaps even coming so far as very seldom really to be in the wrong. This is such a natural point of view, so obvious to everybody. There is, then, something edifying about being in the wrong. That is, inasmuch as by admitting it, we improve ourselves with prospects of it occurring more and more rarely. And yet, it was not with this consideration that he wanted to appease doubt, but by considering what was edifying and always being in the wrong. But if that first consideration was edifying, which held out the hope in due time no, of no longer being in the wrong, how can the opposite consideration also be edifying, the consideration that would teach us that we are always in the wrong in respect of the future as well as the past? Your life brings you into manifold relationships with other people. Some love right and justice. Others seem unwilling to practice these, and they do you a wrong. Your soul is not insensible to the suffering they inflict on you in this way. But you search and examine yourself. You assure yourself you are in the right, and you rest calmly and strongly in that conviction. However much they hurt me, you say, they can never take from me this peace of knowing I am in the right and that I am suffering wrong. There is a satisfaction, a joy, in this consideration, which we, have, which we have no doubt all tasted, and when you continue to suffer wrong, you are edified by the thought that you are in the right. This point of view is so natural, so comprehensible, so often tested in life, Yet it was not through this consideration that we wanted to appease doubt and cure concern, but by considering what was edifying in the thought that we are always in the wrong. Can, then, this opposite consideration have the same effect? Your life brings you into manifold relationships with other people. You are drawn more to some by heartfelt love than to others. Now, if such a person who was the object of your love were to do you a wrong, it would pain you deeply, would it not? You would go over it carefully, but then you would say, I know within me that I am in the right. This thought will put me at ease. Ah, uh, if you loved him, it would not put you at ease. You would look into everything. You would be unable to come to any other conclusion than that he was in the wrong, and still that conviction would disquiet you. You would wish that you might be in the wrong. You would try to find something which would count in his defense, and if you did not find it, you would find repose only in the thought that you were in the wrong. <laughs>
or if you were made responsible for the welfare of such a person, you would do everything in your power, and if, notwithstanding, the other showed no appreciation and caused you only sorrow, you would draw up the account, would you not? He would say, I know I have done right by him. Ah, no, if you loved him, that thought would only distress you. You would grasp at every probability, and if you found none, you would tear up the account in order to be able to forget it, and you would have, and you would endeavor to edify yourself with the thought that you were in the wrong. So it is painful to be in the wrong, and the more painful, the more often one is so, edifying to be in the wrong, and the more edifying, the more often one is so. It is indeed a contradiction. How can it be explained but by the fact that in the one case you are forced to recognize what you want to recognize in the other? But if the recognitions are nevertheless not the same, how can one's wanting or not wanting help? How can this be explained but by the fact that in the one case you loved and in the other you did not? In other words, that in one case you found yourself in an infinite relationship to a person, in another case, in a finite relationship. So wanting to be in the wrong expresses an infinite relationship. Wanting to be in the right or finding it painful to be in the wrong expresses a finite relationship. So the edifying, then, is to be always in the wrong, for only the infinite edifies, the finite does not. If, then, there were a human being you loved, even if your love succeeded in piously deluding your thought and yourself, you would nevertheless be in a constant contradiction, because you would know you were in the right or wanted to be, and wanted to believe you were in the wrong. If, on the other hand, it was God you loved, could there then be any question of such a contradiction? Could what you knew then be anything out what anything but what you wanted to believe? Could it be that he who is in heaven is not greater than you who dwell on earth, that his wealth is not more abundant than your sufficiency, his wisdom not more profound than your shrewdness, his holiness not greater than your righteousness? Must you not of necessity recognize this? But if you must recognize it, there is no contradiction between your knowledge and your wish. And yet, if you must necessarily recognize it, then there is indeed no edification in the thought that you are always in the wrong. For it was said that the reason why it could prove painful on one occasion to be in the wrong and edifying on another was that in the one case one is compelled to recognize what is in the other case one wanted to recognize. So you would indeed be freed in your relationship to God from the contradiction, but you would have lost the edification. Yet that was precisely what we were to consider. What is edifying and being always in the wrong against God? Is it really so? Why did you wish to be in the wrong against a human being? Because you loved. Why did you find it edifying? Because you loved. The more you loved, the less time you had to consider whether you were in the right or not. Your love had but one wish, that you might always be in the wrong. So, too, in your relation to God. You loved God, and therefore your soul could only find repose and joy in the thought that you must always be in the wrong. 
So it was not through the trials of thought that you came to this recognition. You were not compelled, for when you are in love, you are in freedom. So if thought did convince you that the situation was as you wanted it, that there was nothing for it, but that you must always be in the wrong or that God must always be in the right, that followed later. For you did not arrive at the certainty that you were in the wrong from the recognition that God is in the right. It was from love's highest and only wish that you might always be in the wrong that you came to the recognition that God is always in the right. But that wish is a matter of love and therefore of freedom. And so you are by no means compelled to recognize that you are always in the wrong. So you were not made certain that you were always in the wrong by reflection. The certainty came from your being edified by that thought. It is an edifying thought, then, that against God we are always in the wrong. If this conviction did not have its source in your whole being, that is, in the love that is within you, your reflection would have acquired a different appearance. You would have recognized that God is always in the right. This you would have been compelled to recognize. As a consequence of that, you would have been compelled to recognize that you are always in the wrong. The latter would have already caused difficulties, for although you can certainly be compelled to recognize that God is always in the right, you cannot really be compelled to apply this to yourself, to let your whole being appropriate this recognition. So you would have recognized that God is always in the right, and in consequence of that, that you are always in the wrong, but this recognition would not have edified you. There is nothing edifying in recognizing that God is always in the right, and neither, therefore, in any thought that follows necessarily from it. In that case, when you recognize that God is always in the right, you are standing outside God, and similarly, and similarly, when in consequence you recognize that you are always in the wrong. If, on the other hand, on the strength of no precedent recognition you claim, and are, and are convinced that you are always in the wrong, you are hidden in God. This is your divine worship, your religious devotion, your, rev your reverence for God. You loved a human being. You wished always to be in the wrong against him. Alas, he was unfaithful to you, and however reluctantly, however much it pained you, you were nevertheless shown to be in the right against him, and in the wrong in loving him so dearly. And yet your soul demanded to love in that way. Only in that way could you find peace and rest and happiness. Your soul then turned away from the finite to the infinite. There it found its object. There your love became happy. I will love God, you said. He gives the lover everything. He fulfills my dearest, my only wish, that against him I am always in the wrong. Never shall any anxious doubt tear me away from him. Never will the thought terrify me that I might prove to be in the right against him. Against God I am always in the wrong. Is it not so? Was this not your only wish, your dearest wish? Was it not the case that a dreadful fear seized you when for a moment the thought could arise in your soul that it was possible you were in the right, 
that wisdom was not the governance of God, but your own plans, that righteousness was not God's thoughts, but your own, but your own achievements, that love was not God's heart, but your own emotions. And was it not your bliss that you could never love as you were loved? This thought, then, that you are always in the wrong against God, is not a truth you are forced to recognize, not a comfort to soothe your pain, not a substitute for something better. It is the joy in which you triumph over yourself and over the world, your rapture, your song of praise, your worship, a proof that your love is happy as it is only that love with which one loves God. Against God, you say, I am always in the wrong. If you knocked, but it was not opened unto you. If you sought, but did not find. If you labored, but nothing gained. If you planted and watered, but saw no blessing. If heaven were closed and the witness failed to appear, still you are glad in your works. If the punishment which the sins of the fathers had called down were to fall upon you, Still you are glad, for against God we are always in the wrong. Against God we are always in the wrong. This thought then stays the doubt and alleviates its anxiety. It puts one in heart and inspires one to action. Your thought has now followed the course of this exposition, perhaps hurrying on ahead when it followed familiar paths. It gave you the lead slowly, perhaps reluctantly, when the way was unfamiliar, but nevertheless you must admit this, that it is as it was set forth, and your thought had no objections. Before we part, one more question, my hearer. Did you wish, could you wish, that it were otherwise? Could you wish that you were in the right? Could you wish that that beautiful law which for thousands of years has borne the human race in every generation of the race through life, that beautiful law, more glorious than that which keeps the stars in their courses across the vault of heaven, could you wish that law breached, more dreadful than if the law of nature lost its force and everything was dissolved in terrible chaos? Could you wish that? I have no words of wrath with which to terrify you. Your wish must not proceed from dread of the blasphemy of the thought of wanting to be in the right against God. I ask you simply, could you wish that it were otherwise? Perhaps my voice is not strong and warm enough to penetrate to your inmost thought. But ask yourself. Ask yourself with the solemn uncertainty with which you would address a person you knew was capable of deciding your life's happiness with a single word. Ask yourself even more seriously, for in truth it is a question of salvation. Stay not the flight of your soul. Do not sadden what is your better part. Do not enervate your soul with half-wishes and half-thoughts. Ask yourself and keep on asking until you find the answer, for one can recognize a thing many times and acknowledge it, 
one can want a thing many times and attempt it. Yet only the deep inner movement, only the indescribable motions of the heart, only these convince you that what you have recognized belongs unto you, that no power can take it from you. For only the truth that edifies is truth for you.